Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning services to you each and every week. We are currently in our sermon series, Stories of Christmas. In this series, we are walking through Luke 2 and the stories of different people who played a role in the Christmas story. From Mary and Joseph to the shepherds and the Magi, each of these stories will culminate in the birth of Jesus. So join us as we share the stories of Christmas. Again, I want to say good morning and Merry Christmas. We're glad that you guys have joined us this morning to worship and to open up God's Word together. One thing I forgot to mention in the welcome uh, or a second ago is this morning at the end of the service, uh, we're going to celebrate communion together. And so maybe you grab those elements on the way in. They, they may not um, have, they, they, you may not have seen them on the way in. So they're in the back of the room. And so over the next couple minutes, if you uh, have a second, we want to go grab those. Uh, we want to grab, you'll, you'll want those for the end of the sermon time before we sing again. So uh, take, your, take a second and go grab those. Uh, and you'll, you'll be ready for communion here at the end of the service. We've been through, uh, been working through a, a series called The Stories of Christmas. And, and kind of the, the, the language of that has been, is, is odd because, you know, we think about the story of Christmas. There's one story of Christmas. But around the story of Christmas are all these individuals and these 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 characters that play significant parts in the story of Christmas. And so what we want to do, what we've done over the past several weeks and what we're going to continue to do this week and then uh, next week as we celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve and, and our time together there is really look at some of these different individuals and the stories that surround Jesus as he is, comes to be with us in, in, a, in, in the flesh, Emmanuel. And so kind of slowing down, even as we did this morning with the songs, to slow down a little bit and to, to look in the faces of those that surround the nativity, to take in the stories of the individuals that we recognize so well that are play a part in the stories of Christmas. We want to slow down a little bit and meditate on who's there and what's happening there. And in doing so, I believe what we've seen so far and what we'll see today again is in slowing down in those places, I believe that we get to learn, lean in and hear and learn and understand more deeply who God is and his sovereignty and his, the purpose and the power and the provision and his great love for us that's displayed so clearly in this manger that's there in that town of Bethlehem. And so this, the, so far what, who we've gone through is, is Mary and then Joseph. Uh, and then last week we talked about the shepherds and the, who were out on the hillside surrounding the town of Bethlehem and all that kind of followed there. And this, this week we're, we're going to move to a different passage of Scripture but look at some different individuals that are a part of this story. And you'll learn a little bit while I'm saying just a part of the story and not the nativity, right? But we're going to look at the magi, the, the, these wise men. And some, some songs that we sing call them kings. And so we're going to learn a little bit about who they are. And I believe that as we work through this, one of the things that you'll see in your worship guide, what, what I believe kind of is the central point of what we're going to work through is that what the wisdom of the wise men teach. That the wisdom of the wise men, these individuals, these called magi or kings, the wisdom of the wise men teach us that Jesus is worthy. That the wisdom of the wise men teach us that Jesus is worthy. And so we're going to start by reading a passage of Scripture in Matthew. Again, we're going to kind of move over to, to the first book of the New Testament, this, the Gospel of Matthew 
And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, he kind of gives us the story of the birth and then tells us this part where, uh, where, where we meet these magi or these wise men. And if you're able to follow along maybe in, in your Bible or these scripture, these passages will be on the screen behind us. Uh, I'd love for you to follow along as we read this together. And here, it's beginning in verse 1. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called, to, he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asked them Where's the, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this was what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judea. But out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd for my people Israel. Verse 7, it says, when Herod, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exactly the time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too, I'm, I too may go and worship him. Verse 9, after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose ahead of them, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming in the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, and presented to him the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray together. Jesus, I'm so thankful this morning for your presence and for the songs that we sing this morning that celebrate the fact that you came to be present with us. I'm thankful for your presence because I know in your presence is peace and hope and joy. And I know that in this room, even right now, there are those who desperately long for peace and hope and, in, and joy. And so, God, we pray that your presence would not only be, not only we would know that it's here, but, God, that we would know it because we we experience it clearly, that you would make your presence known to us, that in the, the darkness of our distress, that you would be near to us this morning, that even as we slow down to, to, to learn from who you are by looking at these wise men, that you would draw our hearts to you and remind us that there is hope when, you're pre when you are present. There is peace when you are present, peace that defies our understanding, hope that makes no sense, joy that only you could bring. And we pray that that would rest in here this morning. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, as you're following along, we, st we said this a second ago, that the, the kind of the main idea this morning is that what the wisdom of the wise men teaches, and the wisdom of the wise men teaches us that Jesus is worthy. 
And from this passage, there's five specific ways that I kind of want to walk through and you can follow along on your worship guide uh, that, that kind of tell us about G- why Jesus is worthy, what, what gives us what Jesus is worthy of. And, and as I was thinking about this passage and kind of working through it this week in preparation, there's a, a book that maybe even if you don't know the book, even if you didn't read it, there's a book that you may know about, you may, you may recognize the title. The book is called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And I, I, I agree wholeheartedly because in kindergarten we still took naps and I, I didn't value them then, but I, I'd, I'd learned then that naps were valuable and now I'd, I understand it and I wish that I would not have treated naps so poorly all these years. But, that, you know, we learned a lot in kindergarten. And I would argue by that time in my life, I probably knew all there was to know about the wise men. Right? And by kindergarten, what, what else did you need to know? They came and they brought some gold and frankincense and myrrh. I didn't know what that was. I knew what gold maybe was, but I didn't know what frankincense and myrrh it was obviously cool. But, but by kindergarten, I felt like I probably knew all there was to know about the Magi. And, but the reality is we don't really know a whole lot about the Magi. We don't really know a whole lot. I mean, what Scripture says, what, what Matthew tells us in here is really the, the only kind of stuff that we know. And it's plain here, and, and it's obviously what God wants us to know about who they are. But I do think that there's some things that we can learn about who they are before we get to, the, to these five specific things that I think that they that, that teach us what, about, about Jesus being worthy. There's some things that I kind of want to give us an overview and kind of set the stage for. And the, and the beginning is really this, that, that re- what, what they... The setting and overview before we get to Jesus is worthy is this. When did they come? I think this is the thing that, that I didn't know in kindergarten. I didn't know when they came. Because I, like you, had our little nativity scene, and I meant to go get one and, and put it up here. And because I, like you, our nativity scene always had the little magi next to it, right? They were always there with Jesus. And the reality is, I'm probably not going to cause a brawl here. I hope that I'm not going to cause a brawl here. But they weren't at the nativity. They weren't. Amen. Somebody's real happy about it. We're good. They weren't there. They weren't. If we were going to be more theologically correct, like the songs that we're singing, we'd have to put them on the other side of the room, maybe even outside. Right? They'd have to be away from the nativity because they weren't there. I mean, it just, and again, please don't get mad. Based on the conversation, based on what we understand in Scripture, they, they had to find out. They came later. They, they talked to Herod, and they told him when they saw the star. And what Herod does in following tells us that it had been a while for them to get there. They would have traveled months, if not years, or made a year or two years before they actually got to see Jesus. We'll talk a little bit more about why it would have taken them so long. But, but, this, the, but part of that is where they're from. Like, where are these guys from? And Scripture tells us that they're from the east, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of King Herod. The Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and that's fairly generic, right? The, the song that we sing, the Christmas hymn that we sing tells us that we three kings, again, that's different verbiage, but it's all the same people. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We travel so far. Anybody else want to sing this? Field and fountain, moor and mountain. Following yonder star. Now, the yonder part of that song makes me think they're from Mississippi. <laughs> but I don't think they were from Mississippi. That would be a totally different story. Wouldn't have been gold, frankincense, and myrrh that they showed up with. Yeah, I don't know. I, let's, let's not go what they would have showed up with. I, I'm, I'm, the filter is so, I mean, it's, it, I, might, I might just, yeah, pass out. The filter's holding on so hard. But if you were to draw a line due east from Jerusalem, 
the where you end up is in, in, in cities like Babylon or in Persia or Arabia and, and places along, the, along that line. And it, it makes sense as you kind of look at that, the, the word magi, kind of their origination goes along in those places in Babylon and Persia and uh, Arabia, those kind of places that are there. And that's where these gifts that they bring were traded in plenty. Maybe those things were there that, you, that, that were, they would have found those things in those places and, and, and kind of holding back. It holds a good weight for us to understand maybe that they, that they were from that area as you go back to the Old Testament. You see that God's people were conquered by these different groups of, of people in the Old Testament, specifically the Babylonians. And maybe you go back to, to, to the Old Testament and you understand that, that these guys would, would, have been, would have heard the stories, these prophecies that had been told to the, to the people of God by the prophets who were maybe in these other places. You know, some of the prophets that we read, not only some were, were in Jerusalem, but some were with the people in Babylon when they were exiled to those places. Daniel, remember who was in the lion's den, that he was in Babylon. And, and as you read the book of Daniel, there's, there's prophecies that tell us a little bit about the coming of Christ. And so I, you just kind of, as you kind of work through this, you realize that more than likely, and, and again, this from my superior knowledge, right? You guys are sitting under the teaching of a brilliant man. That's false. I'm joking. Please, if you don't know me that well. But just from kind of working out some of the details, I would say that more than likely, these guys did come from Babylon or Persia. And maybe, just maybe, if you kind of just use your imagination just a little bit, that Daniel and, and in the Daniel and the lion's den, and, and you, you hear the, these, these, this prophecy in, in chapter 9 where he tells them that this, the city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt and restored and the anointed one, the promised one, the Messiah was going to come. And he even gives him, he's going to come in seven, seven sevens and 62 sevens. It's, it's, it kind of plans it out. And even as you go back to this time, these other writers that are, that are, that are peers of, of the gospel writers even tell us that there was something about the time where Jesus was born, that there was a stir around the cities because of the prophecies that had gone before. So you think about these men who've traveled probably more than likely from a long line of magi, of wise men, who maybe years and years and years before, 500 some odd years, had heard from Daniel this prophecy and had passed it down over and over again that the Jerusalem people, these people, these Israelites, that they had an anointed one that was going to come and to rescue them. They don't even necessarily believe in it, but they know that he's coming. It's a stark contrast to some that are even in the city, and they don't even recognize it, or they know and they don't care enough to go find out. The question of who they are is a pretty big question, not just necessarily their names, because we, we don't know that. I mean, if you've watched some, some cartoons and whatnot, and, and some history, church history tells us the, some names of them, but it doesn't give us that clearly, and so I'm not going to tell you what those names are, because I, I don't know that that's their names. But, the, but Jan, Daniel chapter 2 kind of gives us a little bit of a picture of it. Daniel chapter 2 verse 2 says, So the king summoned the, ma the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to tell him about his dream. 
Remember, he has this dream. He doesn't know how to interpret it. And so he calls all of these people, the, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to come and tell him about his dream. They can't tell the dream. And so then he calls Daniel back. He calls Daniel up to tell them about the dream. And Daniel tells him about the dream. So we can't look at these guys through the 21st century kind of view of things and the Western vantage point and dismiss these guys. These magi and wise men are not some side so circus, circus magicians. They're going to put a card out from under their sleeve or a coin from behind your ear. Like these guys, these are the guys that are being called in to advise the king are the top scientists in their disciplines. They're the top medicine, top doctors and scientists and, and astrologers. They're the, they're, they're, they are in that day the, the Elon Musk and the, and the Gates and the Einsteins and the Da Vinci's and the Newtons. These are the most brilliant men in all of Babylon that are called to Daniel or called to the king and can't interpret the dream. So when, you, when these three men walk into Bethlehem, you're not looking at just some random guys who are, who are going to do a magic trick or two, put on a show for Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. These are the most brilliant men of their time. And one more thing, how many magi are there? I think this is a great question, right? We sing, we three kings of Orient are, right? And most of the time, because we associate the songs that we sing and maybe the three gifts, we assume that there are three magi. And there really, there could have been, there certainly could have been more. There could have been less. Uh, we don't really know. It doesn't tell us. Matthew doesn't tell us how many. Again, we've always assumed these things, and that's how many we put in there. But, but the reality, I don't think it matters. Here's what I do know is that there. If it was three, it, if it was three magi, it wasn't just three people who came. And here's how I know that. Because three magi of this kind of importance would not have traveled alone. They would have, when they saw the star, they would have put together a caravan of all of their people. All three of them would have all of their people together. And so they would have traveled with a large group of people. If it was just three, it could have been upwards of 100 people that would have come into the city of Jerusalem. And which is why we understand when, you, when Matthew tells us that the city is astir, right? That the city's, the, the, the king wants to know who these guys are. They get the audience with the king, but then also the city knows that somebody showed up. So there's more than just three dudes that are walking into Jerusalem on the backs of camels or donkeys or horses or whatever they showed up on. This is an entourage of people that are coming into this town. And the good news that we understand from all the things that maybe we didn't know about the Magi. And maybe you're like, I'm more confused now than I was when we started, T. Thanks for, you know, all of your brilliance. It, it's okay. What the good news is, is that whether there were three or one or a hundred, where they were from, what their names were, all of that doesn't necessarily change what's happening in this story. The good news for us is that none of those things change the reason why Matthew gives us this episode. What Matthew is telling us in this Christmas story, Matthew clearly letting us know is that Jesus is the central figure that this whole story rotates around. That Jesus is exceedingly worthy of our praise. That the one that they came to visit 
He's making sure that we know that we know that even, even though Jesus was born in obscurity, that obviously he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The good news is that, when, that, that in his coming is for everyone. Those who are far away and traveled to find him and those who are even very near and ignored his coming. Wherever you land in those two places, maybe you're like Herod and you fight against his coming. His coming is for you. So the three, the, the handful of things that I think that we can learn from these magi, this, the, the, the gift of, of this story of understanding what, that, that Jesus is worthy. The first one is this, and we said this last week, so we won't spend a whole lot of time on it, on it, but that Jesus is worthy of our attention. If the magi teach us anything, the one thing that, that I think is really on, on the top of the list is that, that Jesus is worthy of our attention. You see, there's a difference between knowing something that happens, knowing something that happens, and paying attention to something that happens, right? One of the one of the gifts that comes along with being a dad, and it's incredible. I have three beautiful beautiful kids, uh, and 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 I, I love them. But one of the gifts that comes along with being a dad, outside of great jokes, is that you get this ability almost the the very moment that they show up, you get this ability to ignore lots of things that are going on around you. And the wives in this room are like, yeah, you're right. I've seen it. I mean, like, personally, I didn't understand this when I was a kid, how my dad could, like, totally tune out everything that was going on, right? I mean, he could be focused on a book that he was reading or, or the TV or whatever and totally not understand. But I, today, like, volcanic explosions can happen in our living room, and I can totally miss it all. Or I can know it's happening but not pay attention to it. Right? It's pretty awesome, actually. I mean, I, again, I, I used to think I didn't, I didn't understand why my dad would do it, but I've, I've, his, he just kind of passed that on to me, and it's, I mean, it's pretty incredible. Dads, I don't think it's the best thing that we can do, uh, though, so don't take any advice from me on that. Um, but, but the reality is that there's a difference between knowing something's happening. I know that things are happening, but I'm not paying attention to it. But the Magi, these wise men, saw that something was happening in the sky, and it caused them to put everything down. It caused them to say, wait a minute, that needs my attention. There's lots of other really important things for these guys to, to attend to, but the most important thing took precedence. And they put everything down, and they traveled to the place where they could find out what was going on. And so if you have space on your worship guide, I, I invite you to write this down. Maybe, maybe something that you want to write down. I, I know there's a blank space there at the bottom. Uh, that the wisdom, wisdom is giving our attention to eternal and, tr and truly valuable. Wisdom is giving our attention to the eternal and truly valuable. That what these guys did is they gave their attention to what was truly valuable, what was eternal, even though they didn't necessarily understand that at the moment. And the real challenge for us in these days, in the next several weeks, is, is there's going to be lots of things that try to grab our attention. But the question for us is, are we going to give our attention to the thing that is most important? Are we going to give our attention to Christ, who is the center of all of what this is all about? In a commercialized, in a busy time, are we going to give our attention, our focus, to the one who all of this is about? Are we going to give our time and attention to our family in a way that they deserve during this season? 
I can already tell you that, that I, there's so many years that have gone past and it passes so fast. And I used to laugh at people when they're like, life goes by so fast. It does. And even this, I mean, we're, we're already 17 days into December. And I think about it, I'm like, there's so many things that I've wanted to do in the beginning of the, uh, the, beginning of the season with, with our kids and with just to celebrate the Christmas time. And, and already those times, like there's so much that has swallowed that up. And so are you going to give? Am I going to give? Are we going to give our attention to what's most important? Because Jesus is worthy of our attention. The second thing is this, that Jesus is worthy of our worship. That Jesus is worthy of our worship. We talked about it a second ago, but it really is interesting when you think about, um, think about what we don't understand about the Magi, what we don't understand about these guys. You know, Matthew is of the gospel writers, of the four, the four individuals that write these gospel accounts that we have in the New Testament. Matthew is probably the least detailed of the gospel writers. He gives us pieces of important details throughout the gospel, but, but the other guys kind of really kind of, they hone in a little bit more. But, but when we understand that, when we understand that he doesn't give a lot of details, we have, to, we, have to get the under, we have to understand that sometimes the details that he does give us are really important, and the details that he doesn't give us teach us just as much. Right, Because he's going to spend time only on what he really needs us to know. And so if he doesn't share something with us, he doesn't recognize it as something that we have to know about it. And so he doesn't tell us, what he doesn't tell us is almost as important to, to this, to what we need to pay attention to. He doesn't tell us who the Magi are. He doesn't tell us how many they are. He doesn't tell us how they were dressed. He doesn't tell us their names. You know, in, the, in chapter 1, he gives us a whole list of the names of the, of, of the ancestry of Jesus all the way back from Abraham. So he's not above giving lists of names. He's not above telling us who people are. But he doesn't tell us the, the names of these individuals. And so he lets that go. And so we have to understand that maybe that's important. He doesn't tell us, he doesn't tell us what they saw to get them there. He doesn't tell us what it was. Was it, was it a star? Was it and all the different things that people think that it might be? He doesn't tell us any of those things. He, he doesn't tell us what, what happened after they left. He doesn't tell us the way that they went home. What he, does, what he doesn't tell us how they got there. What he does tell us, what he does tell us is that they sought him and they found him. And when they found him, that they worshiped him. All the things that it doesn't tell us, what it does tell us, is that they sought him and they found him. And when they found him, they worshiped him. It doesn't tell us that, that they, that it doesn't tell us that in their search, they, they went to Jerusalem, or it does tell us that in the search, they went to Jerusalem and they stood before Herod, who's the most important in, in, that, in, in the region at the time, who considers himself the king, which is why he's so against the fact that there's the king of the Jews. He sees himself as that. And so he, they walk into that palace. It, do, it, doesn't tell, it does tell us that they didn't bow a knee in that place. But it does tell us that when they walked into this insignificant peasant home in an insignificant little town of Bethlehem, they found themselves before the child who was the ancient of days, who had just come into this world, but he was eternal. That the toddler that had dirt on his feet that he created, that a boy that was held by his mother that he knitted together, 
that when they stepped into that house, that these men who were the most important men and the most powerful men in most of the rooms that they ever entered into, that when they entered into that room, that someone far greater and far more important stood before them. And they bowed a knee and worshiped there. They didn't bow a knee in front of Herod, but they did bow a knee in front of a child and a peasant home and a small insignificant town. It's the heart, it's the center of this story of Christmas that God put on flesh and he came to dwell among us. And he's to be worshiped, worshiped by the poor and by the rich, by the young and by the old, by men and women, by the Gentiles and the Jews together. In our culture, it's going to give us all kinds of countless attractive, intriguing objects and things that are going to have opportunities to redirect our worship. And our flesh is going to entice us to foolishly think that we ourselves are the center of this story and the ones that deserving of the worship. Uh, You can imagine that these guys had every reason to believe that they were the center of the story. Herod definitely thinks that he's the center of the story. But but what Matthew tells us here and what we get in the picture of these magi is that there's one who's deserving of the worship. And he's the greatest of them all. So if you have a little space there in your worship guide, the thing I think you can write this down, that not only does the Jesus is worthy of our worship, that they teach us this, but, but the wise men teach us that wisdom is to humbly bow a knee before the king of kings and to worship, because, worship him because he alone is worthy. That they teach us that wisdom is to humbly bow before the king of kings and to worship him because he alone is worthy. Third thing that I think the, the, these wise men teach us is that Jesus is worthy of our faith. And Jesus is worthy of our faith, and you're going to use your imagination. I'm going to ask you to use your imagination with me for just a second. If you think about this, right, if, if you think about this trip, it's, it's 2,000 some odd miles across crazy terrain, right? And they didn't have a Tesla to get there. They didn't have a Suburban to get there. Like, this is a caravan of people on the, on the back of some kind of, of, of a beast of burden, right? More than likely camel. They're, they're traveling. There's no podcast. There's no audio books to take up to fill up this time. Just you and the two clo- your two closest Magi buddies and the caravan of people that are, that are following, you, following along there, right? And I can imagine that there were a couple of times in this caravan, 2,000, 2000 miles, if they, if they would have started the day that they saw it and didn't stop riding and rode every day, it would have taken them no less than 40 days. So you can imagine, this is a long trip. So as they travel this road to get there, I can imagine one day one of those dudes pulling up next to the other one and being like, you still feeling good about this? Like, this is a long trip, right? I mean, do we even really know where we're going, right? I mean, is this, are we still, are we on the right way? I mean, can, can you, like, I, I can imagine one of those dudes being like, did you, what did you tell your wife we were going to do? Have you, have you told her where we are? You know, like me and I have buddies when we go on, we go on trips Together, we're like, we have a pact that, like, if I'm going to call my wife, I'm going to tell them before I call my wife so they can also call their wife so my wife doesn't call their wife and be like, I heard from T. And then this other guy be like, I didn't hear from Jacob. And you get, you know, like, did you call? Let me know if you're going to write her so I can write mine. I don't want to get in trouble. Like, is she still cool with us being out here? 
I can imagine, right, that, that, that maybe, maybe as they got into, they arrive in this little podunk town, that they, after they had to go to this ordeal in Jerusalem, and they find out that he's in Bethlehem, and they go to, they go to Bethlehem, this little, this little nothing town, and they go to this little rundown house, and they greet these little, this little poor young couple that's living in this house now, and they see this child with dirt on his feet and, and running around this house, and they've got these treasures in their hands. One of them looking at me like, you sure we should give him all this? Like, this is a lot for a little kid, and like, snotty nose. Like, I can imagine. You think this is a good idea? You think we're in the right place? I mean, the whole star thing for this? I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm alone, but I can imagine that some of you are like me, where I have to talk myself into trusting Christ all the time. I have to remind myself over and over again that, that the God who says who he says he is, is who he says he is, and I can trust him. And I can imagine that these guys, as they travel this place, have got to over and over again remind themselves, no, we believe that the star that we've seen is telling us something very significant, and it's worthy of us following it. What we're going to find on the other end is worthy of our faith to take this journey. J.C. Ryle, pastor, many years ago wrote this. He says, the conduct of the wise men described in these chapters, or in this chapter, is a splendid example of diligent faith. What trouble it must have cost them to travel from their homes. How many weary miles must they have journeyed? How great the time such a journey would have occupied. How great the dangers to be encountered. But none of these things moved them. For Jesus was worthy of their faith. And the Jesus that was worthy of their faith 2,000 years ago is worthy of our faith today. The wisdom that they teach us is, is that trusting in the creator and sustainer of all things is worth my everything. That it's, that it's, that it's wisdom to trust God with my everything. To know that he can handle it. The fourth thing, that Jesus is worthy of our gifts. A couple years ago, before we moved up here, uh, some of our friends um, bought our kids a, a Nintendo Switch. Uh, Cooper had had a surgery, and they wanted to gift, gift him this Switch because he couldn't walk for a little while, and so they, they gave this Switch to him. And I remember them coming to our house and dropping this off and being like, that's, that's a lot. That's a, that's a pretty big gift for a kid. I'm like, that's a lot. Thank, thanks. But, and, and, and honestly, I, I think I have... I've thought that a lot about the, even the gifts that I give my kids, that that's really expensive and a lot for uh, you. Um, I don't think I've ever, had that, I've ever had that thought about a gift that's given to me. Um, and you're welcome to try. Uh, I, we'll, we'll determine. But these wise men brought these gifts to this king, the gifts that were, that were appropriate for a king. Because, because, of course, he was a king. And the gift was a part of their worship. The gift that they brought was a part of their worship of the one that they were bringing it to. And we say this almost every week as we gather here that, that during the offering, we say this, that the offering is not a break in our worship. It's a continuation of the worship. That, that we worship God through our giving because in giving we celebrate the giver. And when we see this, right, that, that Jesus is worthy of us bringing these things and bringing our gifts and, and, must see that, that, and we must see as, as more than financial gifts, but he's worthy of us giving him everything, of laying down before him even the most incredible things because we recognize that he's the one who's given us everything. 
who's also given everything that we might have the life that we have. The scripture says that what do we have that's not a gift from him? And so as these men came, come and bring these gifts, there's a lot of different ideas that, that to attempt to explain what these gifts are, that, that they represent different parts of Jesus' ministry. And they may, I, I'm not sure, I don't believe that, the, that these men, as they brought this to Jesus, believe that they were talk, talking about what Jesus' ministry would have been. I don't think that that's what was happening. And I certainly don't think that as they laid this gold and frankincense and myrrh at the feet of Jesus, that they knew that at that moment they were funding a trip for them to escape by night into the land of Egypt so that, so that Christ was not, was not killed among the others that were slayed in the city because of Herod's madness and finding out there there was a king that would rival his throne. But they had no idea that when they dropped that gold and frankincense and myrrh that they, would, they were funding that trip in those two years that Mary and Joseph and Jesus would spend in Egypt before they would return back to this home. Likewise, I don't think that you and I understand. I think we have to believe and, and trust when we give the gifts that we give. Maybe you've been a part of our next campaign and initiative that, uh, and, and you give maybe regularly on Sunday mornings. I don't think that we know necessarily the ways that God's going to use that gift when we give, but we trust God in giving it to him because he's worthy of the gifts, not only financial, but our lives and our gifts and our talents. We don't know how he's going to use them, but we trust him because he's worthy of those gifts. And lastly, he's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of our obedience. Matthew, it says, they've been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And so they returned to their country by a different, different way. And so Herod told them to come back. And that wasn't a suggestion from Herod. You think about Herod, I mean, this is the most, this is the most powerful man in the region. Like, it, it, when he tells them to come back, and that was, that was a command, that was, hey, you're going to do this. He may have done it a little subservently to try to make sure that they did, but he was telling them to do something. But when God came to them in a dream and said, don't go that way, because Herod has something, that he's, something up his sleeve, they listened to God, not Herod. And God is worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of our obedience to him, even when something else may tell us to do something else, right? He's worthy of our obedience that what these, the wisdom of the wise men teaches that Jesus is worthy. He's worthy no matter what the cost. And what does that look like for us to follow him no matter what the cost, to be obedient to him no matter what the cost, no matter what it costs us, no matter what the world tells us that we should do, that we walk in obedience to him because what he says is better than what anybody else could say. And being obedient to him is better. It, it, even what obedience on the other side of obedience may find us in is better than not being obedient and walking in some other place. No matter what the cost, Jesus is worthy of our, 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 of our obedience. It takes us back to the beginning. And there's a lot that we don't know. But what's truly awesome, and, and you don't have this in your notes, is that the one thing that we do know and something that I think that we need to take note of as we wrap this up this morning. I'm going to invite um, Colton to come and kind of um, before we take communion together. One thing that we do know is that God is the initiator of this great episode that makes this story so special. 
that these wise men are men that seeked wisdom. They, they sought wisdom. They, they, they seek after the, the, the knowledge and understanding of those things. And they went on this journey. That's what wise men do. It's in the heart of every man to seek wisdom and meaning and purpose for eternity. But it would have been fruitless had God not had been the initiator. That before these wise men sought after Christ, it was God who came and made it aware, made them aware that there was something worth seeking. And maybe for you and I this morning, the thing that we need to hear this morning more than anything is that, that as you're searching, is that long before you begin to search, long before you came to this place where you were searching for Christ, Christ was coming after you. And we know it not only from what the wise men did, but we know it because what Scripture tells us is that long before you were ever born, God put on flesh and came and died. Put on flesh to dwell among us. That the baby that was in that manger, that was in the house that those wise men entered into, was the Lamb of God that was the perfect sacrifice. That before we were ever looking for him, he came and sought after us. That you were worthy of Christ leaving heaven and making a way for you to know him and be restored in relationship with him. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you're subscribed and get notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.